Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. Craig Malonsaw and sideline reporter for the Cajuns, Cody Juno. Cody, how are you tonight? I'm excellent, Craig. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, buddy. How are you? I am doing well. Um, getting along just stellar and ready for football season, ready to get back in, in the booth with you guys and travel and be obnoxious and and cause you, trouble you, with well, Gerald. You've got the you've got the obnoxious part and the trouble part down down pat. And anybody that knows you know that knows that I'm not uh, I'm not fibbing there. Um, no, it's 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 great. You know, as we sit here and talk on a Wednesday night, you've got week one. You know, going to get underway on Thursday. The Cajuns get to get to strap it up on Saturday, and I. I, for one, am just ready to get actual football. Um, you know, it, it, what I do during the day, dealing with everything that's going on in college athletics, I'm excited to finally get to actual games and competitions. And we can, you know, stop worrying about the uh, the Big Ten media rights or what the Pac-12 is going to look like in, you know, four years. Well, you know, you mentioned that. Why don't you tell everybody uh, part of your duties that uh, I, I'm going to mess it up, so... Talk about your your day job real quick there. Yeah, so I uh, I'm the um, chief operations officer at College AD, uh, and so College AD for those of you that don't know is a news and information website uh, servicing the uh, business side, the industry of college athletics, very niche market. So um, you know, talking with folks around the country, reporting on different uh, things involving administrators, movements, that sort of stuff, trying to stay on top of. Uh, you know, the, the crazy world that is intercollegiate athletics in 2022. Very good. Uh, lots of uh, exciting times and well, it can be exciting, but it can also be, like you said, uh, head rattling and trying to stay up on things. Very, uh, can be very difficult. So uh, before, before we talk about the Cajuns, though, this is something I forgot to ask you off air. Did, did you, did you get to see, or did you see the score of the FIU Charlotte game? Uh, yeah, or, or was it FAU? FAU and Charlotte did not see a final score. I know that I know that FAU was, as I was flipping through, was was up pretty handily in, in handling business as they did a year ago in in that same matchup. Okay, Charlotte's moving to the AAC. Is that correct? That is correct. Charlotte, along with FAU, will be in the uh, in the American Athletic Conference oh. uh, come next year. Come next year. Okay, I didn't realize FAU was uh, was was leaving as well. I just thought it was very interesting. Um, I, I thought they were staying in conference DOA. So um. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good. One. I hadn't heard that one. I like it. Bam! We'll hit him in the face one time, a couple times each night. So all right, well, never mind then. That it uh, it, it messed up uh, what I was going to so, talk about. So it really doesn't UAB, matter. FAU, UAB, FAU, Charlotte. Uh, North Texas, Rice, and uh, UTSA are going to be the six members that will join the American Athletic Conference next summer. Well, good for them. I think the uh, Sun Belt is hopefully will stay stronger. So here nor there right uh, now. No, I, I'm totally with you. I think it's, you know, before we dive into it, I, you've seen probably some of the national pieces uh, highlighting what the Sun Belt's regional approach. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't also think it's a coincidence that you look across the Sun Belt Conference, Craig, and you see whether it's places like Troy uh, or App State, um, you know, setting setting season ticket sale records, right? Folks are excited about the brand of football in the Sun Belt Conference. Folks are excited about the regional rivalries. And, you know, it, it was really important and it's evident, obviously, because that's how the league turned out. 
But as the leaders and decision makers, president, CEOs, and athletic directors got together, um, you know, to, to chart the future of the Sunbelt Conference, that's something that stood out and was important to them. And and it really stands out now as we see most people taking a national approach. But you know, I think you talk about Conference USA there for a second. It's pretty doggone clear to see that you know setting up a league. Uh, while it's not coast to coast, but, you know, that stretches from Norfolk, Virginia, down to Miami, Florida, all the way to El Paso, Texas, you know, the folks at UTEP don't care when Old Dominion comes to town and vice versa. And so you see it reflected in crowds. And uh, so I'm excited about the um, the future of the Sunbelt Conference, as I think a lot of folks are, and really, really uh, excited because it's, it's going to be a very, very good league for many years to come. Any... Uh surprised that some of the teams from the the WAC are coming are coming back to the Southland uh yes and no but I would tell you probably at that same token like it never made sense for Incarnate Word to be in the WAC right like it it, it didn't fit um you know McNeese hey credit to them they asked for anything and everything uh they got it and then the Southland threw in some more just on top you know to make sure uh that the folks in Lake Charles were happy and so um, you know, hey, it's it's one of those shoot or shoot type deals, and and they were able to uh, to position themselves in the in the driver's seat of that league. Well, I thought it made sense in the sense of if you had divisions and you were playing mainly your division and you had a crossover every now and then, but at the same time, you basically had a Texas division. Did we get lose you there, or did I lose you, or did you lose me? Ah, your thoughts there and you're kind of frozen again all right let yep. me take uh okay, you're good just okay well let's keep uh i was just i i thought it made sense a little bit and then especially with with uta going into the whack it made a nice uh western division for basketball that were mainly texas schools and only having to cross over for one or two games i thought it it i thought it could work but now it makes even less sense for uh uta so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. But, you know, in UTA's case, they didn't really have an, a choice. Right. Uh, right. Um, that's the league that made sense. You look at Little Rock, um, you know, as we get sidetracked, as you and I often do yeah. here, you know, they headed to the Ohio Valley. Right. Um, to, to, to play basketball. So. But enough about conference realignment, Craig. Yes. We weren't talking about that. I know. So we'll, we'll have to do another show on that. And I think a lot of people are still interested, though. So. Let's start out where, where everybody starts out with the quarterback. New quarterback, four years of Levi Lewis. Um, uh, I, not this year, but in previous years, I've been to practice and really enjoyed watching Chandler Fields throw the ball. I mean, what are your thoughts there on Chandler and, and Mike Desimo with the offense? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the thing, the first thing to realize is that it was a true quarterback competition throughout camp, right? And and, and the job was not given to, to Chandler, right? He had to go out and earn it and beat Bill uh, Ben Woolridge. And so right then and there, what that tells you is the Cajuns have two very talented quarterbacks, right? Uh, and it wasn't, you know, from, from talking to coaches, talking to folks, it wasn't a situation where nobody took the job, if that makes sense, right? Both guys underperformed theoretically. They were both neck and neck doing what they were supposed to be doing, making the throws that they were supposed to make, the reads, doing all of those sorts of things, right? So a really, really tough competition coming out of camp. 
And look, you've heard Des talk about it. You hear almost any coach talk about it, right? Competition. There is nothing wrong with competition, right? If you can compete, you know, in an ideal world for every position, uh, each and every year, it's something that that helps kind of build these teams. And so, a good competition coming out of the spring and then into fall camp, and you get a guy now uh, who's going to get his turn, right? And and it, you you feel good for him because he you know was part of Billy Napier's first recruiting class, right? Uh, I guess first full recruiting class, should I say? And and you know sat behind Levi Lewis to your point for the last three years, learned the offense, and yes, offense difference, but there's going to be some similarities. But really got to know his teammates, right? And so that's helped him become a leader, which is you know one of the most critical aspects of playing that quarterback position. And so you know the, the five foot ten redshirt sophomore um, who's been on campus, I think now four years, maybe given a COVID year and a redshirt year, right? We all lose we all lose track. Uh, is finally going to get his opportunity, and I'm excited to see him take the uh, take the field on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think we're going to see the strength of his arm come through, and I I, I got a feeling that Des will uh, give him a little bit more opportunity there to throw the ball, maybe downfield. I, I thought it said a lot about him last year when he came in when Levi lost his helmet, and, and it was just for one play that he wasn't handing a ball off. Coach Napier had. High, high thoughts of him. Yeah, and I would take that a step further, right? It wasn't just those one-play situations where the helmet pops off and, and, and he's got to come in. It was late in games, right, where maybe people would accuse Billy Napier of running up the score. But what Billy Napier was doing was running his offense. And 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 what in the, in the Cajuns, the 2022 Cajuns are going to be the benefactors of that, right? They're going to, you know, so he's not going to be totally green, uh, stepping, you know, when, when he steps out on the football field on, on Saturday, it's just after six o'clock when the Cajuns in, in southeastern Louisiana kick it off. Um, and so I think that's another thing, right? He's got just a teeny tiny bit of experience. Um, and, and so we'll get out there and, and, you know, it does sound like the Cajuns are going to sling the, the, the rock around maybe a little bit more. Uh, by no means do I think that they are going to get away from running the football, right? Um, because I think just about every football coach in America understands the fact that games, for the most part, are won and lost in the line of scrimmage, right? And so you get your, your big bodies lathered up up front, um, you know, as our broadcast partner, Gerald Broussard, likes to say, and you let those backs hit it, and, and, and the Cajuns are going to run the ball. But I do think you're right in the fact that the passing game is going to look different in the sense that we're probably going to see a little bit less, um, you know, short throws into the flats, right? Almost the, the lateral passing game. And we're going to see that vertical passing game start to stretch, try to stretch some of those defenses, which does what, Craig? You get those safeties out of the box. And now all of a sudden, as you got an offensive line, way sorry but if you can um if you can take you know those safeties out of the box all of a sudden by throwing the football consistently down the field you can do a lot of fun things in the running game and then everybody's favorite talking point uh in the city of Lafayette over the last decade that the tight ends uh, have the opportunity to work in the middle of the football field and make some plays there as well well I was very frustrated with HUD after uh Ladarius Green left. I forgot who the the tight end was. We go up to Arkansas uh, in the first half. We're not moving the ball. We're not moving the ball. And then all of a sudden in the second quarter, he starts throwing to the tight ends and we get some momentum going. 
and we don't see the tight ends for the next five games catching a pass. I'm just going like, come on, man. And you know, yes, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Monday morning quarterbacker. I'm not going to lie. Go. Yeah. No, and look, I do think the Cajuns have a, an opportunity in, in John Lumpkin and, and Neil Johnson to get out there and catch the football. And again, I think it's all, you know, and, and Pierce Meagle kind of working as that H back. Um, it, it's all going to kind of work, you know, together. Uh, so I'm excited to see this offense under, under Mike Desimo, right? Calling the plays um, has now had an entire off season to implement and put his stamps on, on what the Cajuns are going to do offensively. And so, um, you know, I, I think the key for the Cajuns, right, as we talk as the offense as a whole, and you've heard the staff talk about this, and um, they got to start faster. Got have to start faster. Uh, and, and, and so get off to a fast start, right? And if your defense can play the way it did a season ago, and look, there's a lot of new faces over there, and you've lost, you know, a couple of key players at, at each level. But if that defense can be remotely – um, you know, as effective as it was a season ago, you get off to a fast start, all of a sudden, you know, one one of my favorite Tony Robichaux sayings, um, you know, it probably wouldn't get a lot of love today, but pour water on a drowning man, right? Finish him. Get off to that fast start and go. And, and, and so it's, um, you know, I think you'll see the Cajuns, the big play opportunities for the Cajuns maybe present themselves. Uh, now, they've got to go out and execute those, obviously, uh, but but I think that you'll see some of that coming out of this Louisiana offense, you know, a little bit more in 2022 than you've seen over the past four seasons. Uh, do, do you think that people are getting a little confused, though, with, uh, I guess, the word maybe up-tempo or trying to score a little bit faster? I take that as in less plays, not necessarily running up to the line and, and you know, throw. I think I think people are getting a little – I'm not going to say freaked out, but just a little bit enamored with that. I don't, I don't think, look, look, speed can be used to your advantage. Speed can be used against you, right? You go three and out, your defense is on the field back to back. You know, if you go, if you have back to back series where you go, you're off the field in six plays, that's a problem, right? Because you're going fast, you're not executing. I think for Louisiana, right? um, You did see a lot of that under Billy Napier, right? You saw a lot of, 10, 11, 12, 15 play drives, right? Really deliberate. Um, you know, they would go fast at times and other times they, they would slow it down. I think for the Cajuns, right? When you talk tempo, it's about efficiency, Craig. It's about making the most of your opportunities when you have the football, because there's only, a, there's a finite amount of possessions that you're going to have in a contest. And so it's being more efficient with those, right? There were times where the Cajuns, would go three and out back to back series, right? And then come back and string maybe a 12 play drive together. Uh, so instead of going, you know, three and out, which obviously no offense was to do that, but find a way to move the football a little bit, have some consistency and just put back to back plays together. And that can help you generate some tempo and speed. Uh, but no, I don't think we're going to see the Cajuns come out here, um, you know, and, and throw back to the Oregon days of, of Chip Kelly uh, running lightning fast. Good deal. So you you mentioned the running backs, and we we've got a lot of uh, turnover there. Besides Chris Smith, uh, you've got some guys that I, I'm not going to. I hate this. I hate when people say that we don't have depth at running back because I I don't think it's depth. I think it's experience. I think we got some guys that can play. Am I wrong? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you, right? So I think that the the thing for me 
obviously you go back and you say, well, you got, you know, you've got no depth, right? You lost one guy at TCU, you lost another guy to Florida. And, you know, all of a sudden, like what, what's going on here? And then you sit back and you realize that the Cajuns have done what over the last four years, Craig? They've had the number one recruiting class in the Sunbelt Conference. There is depth along this ball club. We just don't know the names of these individuals yet, these young men, right? And so, you know, a guy like Jacob Cabote, who maybe you thought was going to contribute a year ago, ended up not now all of a sudden expect, you know, he's, he's moved from receiver to running back, back and forth. Well, now he's, you know, he's, he's figured to, to play a, an important role in this offense. And a guy like Terrence Williams, right, the sophomore, we saw him play a little bit last year, kind of got nicked up a little bit. And then you get Draylon Washington as well. Uh, and so there are talented backs back there. I think what it's, it's going to come down, you know, just we did not know, you know, uh, we knew a little about about Amani Bailey, but we did not know, you know, about the young man coming out of New Orleans, right? And all of a sudden, he burst onto the scene, and Montreal Johnson is a Sun Valley Conference, you know, uh, freshman of the year. But he wasn't pegged that coming out of camp. And if you'll go back, if you remember early on in the season, he wasn't playing all that much. And then it picks up, and it picks up, and it picks up. And, and so, um, you know, I think that just goes to show the amount of depth that they've got in that in that running back room. I agree. I, I think. Jacoby Cabote, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, probably. Jacob Cabote. Uh, Cabote. Uh, I'm excited to see him play at six foot 221. I think he can be a bruiser there for us. So, uh, again, I'm a little concerned about the offensive line, not necessarily because of the experience, but I'm worried about some guys being hurt in camp and everything that, that, probably done for the season do we have the depth there that we've had I, I hate to say in the past no the answer is no depth there right that the let's that's one of the areas where you, you do not have uh the depth coming into the season and look I mean because because here's what you're replacing right so you lose a you know seventh year senior in Ken Marks um we obviously know osiris torrance and and then you lose a guy to the nfl draft and max mitchell you lose a three-year starter and shane vallo at center so no you don't have the depth or the experience right because you know whether through graduation or you know the nfl or whatnot you lost a lot of talented individuals uh up front and you know and and look i know we're not going to dwell too much on people who aren't here but osiris torrance is a first team all american Right. Um, just to, to put in perspective how good that that young man is there at that left guard position. So, uh, look, there's no doubt this group knows what's expected of them. Right. I will say this, that that is, you know, when you look at Nathan Thomas and A.J. Gilly and David Hudson and Jax Harrington and Carlos Rubio. Right. The guys that you expect to be the starters when the Cajuns uh, take the field on Saturday, they have spent those last three or four years in that room together. Right. Working. Uh, with that group so they understand what's expected of them you know they've all now worked with Jeff North for the second year right after he took over uh, for, for Rob Sale and and you know Bryant Ross is back who spent a lot of time uh, in that Cajun's offensive line room as well so they know the coaches the coaches know them it's about them getting out there and working as you know the the, the, the slogan that they have is five equals one right and I would tell you this given all those names we just rattled off and all the experience that they had, right, coming into the, the 2021 season. Cajuns got off to kind of a slow start. And why was that? 
they weren't quite gelled up front. And so, but once they got moving and South Alabama said that they weren't worried about them running the football, well, all of a sudden, Cajuns come out and that offensive line from that point on, right, game four or five, whatever it was of the year, took off. And that's when you started to see the offense start to take some of those steps forward as well. Absolutely. Uh, lastly, on the offensive side of the ball, the wide receivers, I think that's where, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, we're the deepest and returning guys and everything. And I just, I mean, I see a whole lot of talent there if they can uh, stay healthy. Uh, I am incredibly excited to see these wide receivers, um, you know, take the field here in, in, in 2022. I think Michael Jefferson is poised to have an absolute monster breakout year. The transfer out of Alabama State, you know, came in last year, did some really good things for the Cajuns and really not a lot of opportunities, right? And so I think it goes back to earlier in our conversation where we talk about Louisiana getting the football down the field more. Uh, this season that you're going to have an opportunity where it's Jefferson or Stevens, right? Six, four, six, five guys go up. They're going to outman you in the end zone, but they're also going to have the opportunity to really go up and win those 50, 50 balls. And, and, and so I think the Cajuns will also do some creative things to scheme them open as opposed to just throwing, throwing the football up. And for me, what I'm excited about is you get the opportunity, right? I think Michael Jefferson can be that, true number one for Louisiana. I think Peter LeBlanc is going to just thrive in that role right there at that Z position for the Cajuns and, and, and become a matchup nightmare, right? Another, the 6'2 junior out of New Iberia, great size. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm excited. You know, I do think that what we'll see is we'll see less of a rotation, right? I think at times, you know, the argument we made, the Cajuns are playing too many people. Yeah. Uh, in and out of that position. And so I think you're going to see, you know, maybe less people playing, right? A rotation of five, six, seven, instead of seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, right? Uh, get, getting on the field and, and, and really getting in there. And so I'm excited to see what this group does. No doubt, I think the deepest group uh, and the group coming back with the most experience on that offensive front. I, I just, I love seeing the, uh, the, the roster here in, in, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, whether it's sophomore, junior, freshman. I mean, it just tells me that we've got guys that have been here a while and that can contribute. So you're listening. We're talking tonight, Craig Malosa on Cody Juno. Cody, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk defense and special teams. Welcome back into we're talking tonight, Craig Malosa and Cody Juno tonight. Uh, Cody, the defensive line, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, one guy that I love to watch play, and I, he reminds me, uh, which you're probably too young, maybe, to remember when Ricky Jackson played for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Not the Saints, but he was in college at the, with the Panthers. There was a guy named Hugh Green there, and Hugh Green got all the, all the accolades, everything, and I think was a uh, – like the third guy drafted by the Dolphins and everything. And the guy that's in the Hall of Fame is Ricky Jackson. I don't think Zion Hill Green gets enough credit sometimes because he's not the guy that's always making the tackle because he's being double teamed. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at uh, the Richard Sr. out of, out of Catholic High, New Iberia, who's been a staple uh, along that defensive front for the Cajuns. And uh, look, Louisiana is going to need Zion to stay healthy this year, right? He doesn't have his tag team partner 
uh, big soft Salem Humphreys graduated and moved on. And so, you know, along that defensive front, Cajuns are going to kind of still be, I think, searching for that one guy. But yeah, Zion Hill Green is a force and he forces uh, opposing offenses to pay attention to him because what he can do, Craig, from, you know, the inside or, or not the defensive end, but, but moving out a little bit over, he can get to the quarterback, right? He can pressure the quarterback. He can also play the run. And he does that from an inside position. And so what does that do? Well, that opens up, A, those linebackers, right? You talked about, um, you know, there's a reason Lorenzo McCaskill was running around a season ago, knocking everybody's head off. Same thing with Farad Gardner. Again, two guys at the cage are going to have to replace. But it's because those big bodies up front were eating up all those blockers and not allowing the, all those offensive linemen to get to that second level, right? And, and, and you know, the other part of that, is I love watching Andre Jones play, right? The, the redshirt senior uh, out of Barnardale, Louisiana, six foot four, and just a freak athlete, long, lengthy. He has the speed. He can run sideline to sideline. Uh, and one play that sticks out in my mind is, do you go back two years ago to the COVID year, Georgia Southern comes down and he chases down an option down the line for no, for no, you know, for no gain. And it's a, it's a small play, but it's one of those things that just, you, you can see his pure athleticism come out and really shine. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's Mason Narcisse or Sonny Hazard, who got a lot of experience a season ago, Jaquan Nelson, those guys uh, inside uh, along with Zion Hill green are going to be a very, very critical part of this defense uh, because if they can, take care of those offensive linemen, not allow them to get to the second level. Um, you know, you'll get to know some of these outside linebackers and inside linebackers names you might not be familiar with. Uh, you, you'll hear their name a lot over the loudspeaker at Cajun Field as they're making tackles. Well, I, I, Jordan Lawson looks like at 6'4". Wish he had a little more weight on him, but I mean, just just that could be a monster of a guy. Um, I, I'm just, I, I think we've got some guys that can come through there. Uh, outside uh, the linebackers is, is something you you hit on too. Uh, you know, you got Jones and Riley. We're, we're obviously we're missing some guys that were here last year, but at the same time, again, we had we we've had some guys that have been in the system and know the system, and I don't think a lot of lot has changed, even though our defensive coordinator is gone. Yeah, so Lamar Morgan, former Cajun, also Sunbelt Conference player, is going to, you know, come back and, and call the defense for Louisiana. I'm excited to see, you know, what his brand uh, of defense, you know. And, and look, let's be honest, he's got big shoes to fill, right? Uh, the job that Ron Roberts did, um, and then it was even elevated by Patrick Toney. Uh, make no mistake about it, Patrick Toney is one of the best young coaches in America, right? Uh, and and has got a, a monster future. There's a reason Billy took him with him to Florida, and there's a reason he's calling the plays at Florida, right? Uh, and, and so this defensive staff, which which saw a lot of turnover, right? That's where most of the coaching staff turnover uh, ended up. You know, new defensive line coach. You you know you've got uh, you kind of you know you do have two returning guys uh, in, in that secondary, but some positions or some roles, excuse me, have have shifted. Um, you know, so. How does the coaching staff gel with with the uh, with the players? Um, but you know what? What I'm excited about is you got leaders out there, Craig, and and I think that if there are any deficiencies, 
That leadership's going to be able to spot it out, call it out, and get it corrected. You know, I'm talking about guys like Eric Garrar, right? And uh, Eric Garrett, excuse me, and, and Cam Podesco and, you know, Braylon Trahan and all of these guys that have played so many snaps for the Cajuns over the past couple of years. Uh, they're going to rely on that because they're going to need that, you know, that, that leadership uh, throughout the season. You know, the one you, you mentioned, uh, the adjustments and thing, and I think that's where the Cajuns will miss uh, Patrick Tony the most is that during halftime, making those halftime adjustments. Now, I'm not saying we can't do it and we won't do it. We may, uh, but it's going to be hard to be as good. Oh, no doubt. Right. I mean, that's the, you know, but hey, that's a, that's kind of the price you pay for success, so to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so they'll figure it out. No, I think to your point, that entire staff, and, and look, I think the staff learned so much from that last staff, and there's so much crossover. Uh, but their end game adjustments, right? Don't forget, Lamar Morgan was here for two seasons under Billy Napier, yeah, uh, as well. So you know, he's and and, and working with Ron Roberts and uh, and Patrick Tony. So all these guys have worked together, right? They they they're gonna all put their own you know stamps on things, but they're all gonna you know all football is is taking one idea from somebody else and implementing it, maybe in a different way, maybe in the same way. But everybody just steals from everybody, Craig, and, and that's kind of the beauty of the game. You mentioned the uh, the defensive backs, and I think that's where uh, we're returning the deepest there. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to see Trey, Trey Amos take the next step. I think he I think he can be one of those guys that plays on Sunday if if he steps up. Yeah, and, and look, I'll tell you the guy right behind him. I'm excited to see too, Caleb Anderson out of West Feliciana, 6'2", 203, another long, lengthy, big, big body corner. Uh, you know, and and that's gonna play that that um, that that field side corner for for the Cajuns. And another young guy, Tyree Skipper, another guy out of that New Orleans area at uh, that safety position too. Um, you know, really excited to see some of these young guys. And, and the, the beautiful part about this is they're going to get to learn, right, uh, from all of those veterans back there who've got so many snaps under their belts. It's going to be fun to watch them play. And I think uh, I think opposing quarterbacks are going to have a time. So um, you're listening. We're talking tonight, Craig Melanson and Cody Juno. Cody, the specialist. The ki- Let's start with the kickers. A little surprised that Almondeus is not the starting kicker. Or yeah, I mean, well, he's listed as the R, right? And and yep. so we'll see what happens when they uh when they trot things out um as it um as it comes in, you know, all reports was that he was having a, a good camp, and and so we'll see. But uh, you know, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, Craig, uh, competition, you know, competition, it 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 can really really push you and take you a long way. So, you know, Preston Stafford. Or, or Kenny Almendares is listed at the uh, as the kicker position. You've got good old reliable an absolute weapon in Reese Burns. Um, uh, you know, punting the football right. Uh, it talked about it a little bit at camp, but it, you know, if punters can ever win a game, he sure did it a couple years ago at UAB. But it's just been able to really, really complement the Cajun defense, which has been so so good over the last couple of years by pinning opponents deep. And whether it's the end over end, it's the uh, drop down, or it's the rugby style, he can do it all. And then, you know, things that's not going to get talked about, but you got another snapper, right? So we're going to run, I think it's going to be the fourth consecutive year with a new snapper as Hunter Sims was able to uh, to win that job in camp. And so 
you know, that's an, that's an important piece of the operation that usually doesn't get talked about until shit hits the fan. Right. Yep. And so uh, hopefully we, we don't, um, we don't hear too much about Hunter Sims, but that's a very, very important uh, part of that operation. If no one knows his name, he's doing his job. Absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about it. No uh, doubt. Hey, I, I just, I'm just looking here. I mean, if, if, if Amadeus doesn't get to get to kick, I mean, six, one, two forty two. Put him in at linebacker. Hell. <laughs> no so, kidding. Of course, coming off that injury from a, from a year yeah. ago. And look, we, we know with the in the return game, interesting too, Thomas Leo looks like he's won that, that kickoff position uh, as, as well there. So uh, Chris Smith will handle the, the kick return duties. Uh, and then Eric Garrar uh, back there returning punts. Uh, again, another weapon in that, in that special teams game. It, it I just, uh, he is such a, a a vital part to this team, more so now. Uh, I mean, in, in the past couple of years, you know, we've had Chris Smith back there and, and other guys, Raymond Kale, uh Last year, you know, you had Elijah Mitchell. Not, was it last year? They're starting no, to blend he, together. No. Yeah, no. Two years ago. Yep. Two years ago, Elijah Mitchell and even Trey Regis did some kickoff returns, so. It's uh, from what from what Eric Guerra has done is just is just it's it's great. It's very helpful. Well, Cody, thank you so much. Why don't you tell everybody uh, you're on Kevin Foot's show, one hundred three point seven, the game on Tuesday mornings. Is that correct? Yeah, Tuesday ten fifteen uh, for this uh, this season. You can you can hear me and uh, and Kevin talk Cajuns um, or whatever else is troubling Kevin's. Uh, Kevin's little heart, you know, I happened to catch him this <laughs> week on the uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson news, like literally as it was breaking. And so my man was was hyperventilating over the uh, over the air, um, you know, but, you know, I, Craig, I'll tell you this. And, and these and I've got I've got a text message to prove it. The man has called himself the most rational fan that there is. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, when, when you think of it in those terms, yeah, nothing can bother him. Mr. Glass at full. Well, uh, all right. You know, I talked to Kevin during baseball season, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut right now. <laughs> <laughs> Where can they find you on Twitter, Cody? Yeah, so you can follow me at CJuno, C-J-U-N-O-T, nice and easy. And, of course, I'll be uh, down there on the sidelines um this uh this coming saturday and, and every saturday or whenever the cajuns play with uh jay in the booth and and my godfather gerald broussard alongside and really looking forward to uh you know to, to getting out there and, and getting back at it craig me too and uh cody will be joining us weekly to uh to do a quick recap of the previous week's game but um Try to focus on the upcoming game. We'll talk more about the opponent later on. But I just felt that people didn't know who the Cajuns were, and I know you're uh, you've been on the sidelines a long time. And you know a lot of people there, so I appreciate your time. Absolutely, any uh, any time as always, and uh, yeah, looking forward to our weekly chats, my friend. Sounds good. You've been listening. To We're talking with Craig Malasson and Coney Juno. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.